Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. And we'll also be using 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. As you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Second Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, now will you be our teacher? Show yourself as our our father who desires not just for our instruction, but for our adoration. And so, Lord, will you draw us, everyone here, more and more toward Jesus. Use your word and your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated. Well, as you know, this time of year, there are all kinds of TV specials uh, about Christmas. And uh, this week, uh, Connie and I watched a show called Christmas Around the World. And uh, I found it interesting as they went to a number of countries all over the world uh, I always thought it was like a, in, in some ways, like a travel show, but they were showing what the various countries do, and, and that to me is always uh, of interest. Um, a couple of things, though, that I, I noticed, and I guess maybe sometimes I'm not the most fun person to watch shows like that, uh, uh, but, but a couple of things that, that I saw... Uh, in in this, and that was that that all kinds of countries, even those that have very few Christians, they still celebrate Christmas. That was interesting to me. They they had their own traditions, but but they had nothing to do 
with Christ. And then they had, uh, they kept going back to a stage where they had uh, various Christmas songs that they would play in between countries and so on. And almost all of them uh, neglected to mention Christ. Now, they were great songs, great singers, and all of that. But they were Christless. So somehow, these countries have, have learned to celebrate Christmas without Christ. The American uh, storyteller te- uh, Garrison Keillor uh, claimed that you don't have to believe in Jesus to have a great Christmas. Here's what he said, and I, I loved him as a storyteller when uh, he for many years was on uh, public radio. But he said this, although you may decide that instead of Christmas carols you're going to hold hands and breathe in unison, Christmas will still live deep in the cockles of your heart or actually in your neocortex stored as zillions of neuron impulses. It's your brain that sends tears to your eyes when you smell the saffron cookies that your grandma used to make or you sing Silent Night. So Christmas is, number one, lights, number two, food, Number three, song. Number four, being with people you like. You need no more. So is he right? Are the the countries that have figured out a way to celebrate Christmas without Christ... Are they right? Do you really need to know Christ to have a good and joyful Christmas? Well, if you're visiting today or watching online or uh, if you're new to this series, we have been using phrases from Isaac Watts' uh, Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, for our Advent series. And I've mentioned each week that that hymn, when it was written, it wasn't really uh, about the birth of Christ. It was really about the second coming of Christ. So how did it become a Christmas hymn? Well, some surmise that it's because of one of the phrases we're going to look at today. Let every heart prepare him room. Some feel like that was a a subtle reference to Luke 2.7. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I think that's very possible why that that became uh, a, uh, caused it to become a Christmas him. But what comes next? So the first week we looked at the reason Jesus came, because of the curse, far as the curse uh, is found. And last week we looked at the phrase, 
the Lord has come. We looked at uh, the incarnation, at God becoming uh, flesh. And today we're going to look at what, what comes next. So if he is the king, and if he has come, what's the application of that? What difference does that make? And what difference should it make in our lives if those two things are accurate? Now, like last week, we're going to use 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, as a framework. Uh, and it speaks of uh, his poverty and our riches. So here's, here's what it says, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and we looked at that last week, how he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Everything was his. He needed nothing, and he chose to leave that. Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So here, finally, we get to how Paul describes the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's rich. He has everything. For your sake, he became poor. Uh, How did he become poor? Well, again, we looked at this last week. By the incarnation, by coming to this world, we're going to look at this even more uh, this week. But we have Jesus, the king of the universe, uh, set his glory aside to come to earth, to take on uh, human flesh, to live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death on the cross. Notice, not just that he became poor, but he did it, according to Paul, for your sake, for our sake in our place, on our behalf, as our substitute. Now let's do a little theology here. Uh, in, in our uh, Westminster Confession and the Shorter Catechism, which is a question and answer uh, section, um, there is a term that is used, and that is uh, the humiliation of Christ. Uh, in fact, I've, I've written out that, uh, uh, that question in the outline. It's on page 12 if you want to follow along in your worship guide. But here's the question. Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Because when we think of humiliation, it's not a good term. It's not a positive term in any sense of the word. So we're looking theologically. Here's the explanation. And by the way, After his humiliation comes his exaltation. And that would be a follow-up question here. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born and that in a low condition made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. We're going to look at those Uh, But there are several aspects of that that were in the passage that we read earlier in Galatians 4. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So let's look at 
what his humiliation is uh, because, uh, again, that helps us understand the, the importance of uh, the incarnation, but also what that means for our salvation, what that means for us becoming rich. So his humiliation consisted in his being born. So we don't think of that from, from our perspective, from a human perspective, we don't think being born is a humiliation. But if you're the creator and you're the king of the universe and you are not one who is born that has existed eternally, then to be born is a humiliation. It's a part of his humiliation. And then it describes his birth. And that in a low condition. So if we ask, what kind, of, what kind of place should the king of the universe, or any king, what kind of place should he be born in? No one. No one says he should be born in a stable. And so that is a part of his humiliation. And then it says he's made under the law. When you are the law giver to be put under that law is a humiliation undergoing the miseries of this life and it's not saying that everything in this life is misery but remember who we're talking about we're talking about the king of the universe he doesn't need to go through any things that we are going through in this life and he didn't face every single thing that you or I have faced but he faced the same kinds of things we face. Hunger, hardship, tiredness, grief, temptation. Categories of things that he faced that he didn't have to face because there's no way that he should have been under the curse. And that's where those things come from. And then it says his humiliation is being under the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross. He didn't deserve the wrath of God, but he took it while he was on the cross in our place. And his being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. He could have avoided death. He could have come down off the cross. By the way, none of us would be saved if he had chosen that route. We would, we would still be in line to pay for our own sin. But he could have done that. Instead, he put himself under the curse which was caused by sin, and that's why he experienced death. And then in our place, we, we sometimes call that the, the great exchange. He took what, what we deserved, and then he gave to us that which he had, the riches, and that's what this speaks of. So let's look at what that means, that we become rich. Again, back in 2 Corinthians 8. 
For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, which we just talked about, might become rich. You, by his poverty, might become rich. So what are our riches? What is it that we get out of this relationship? We, we could have a whole series on that and go for years. But I want to give you several categories. One, and they're general categories. One is salvation and all its benefits. Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So if you remember, if you were here for uh, and that earlier message, the very first one, where we talked about uh, where the curse came from, sin comes into the world, and then there is a curse that follows because of sin. We said that after uh, the curse was pronounced, it spread to all creation, and not only all creation, but every one that was related to Adam and Eve, and that's everyone. That's how far the curse was found. So the only hope... The only hope with that curse being over all the world, over the universe, over uh, all of us as descendants of Adam and Eve, the only hope was that God would send an answer, which he promised as we talked about back in Genesis 3.15 and how all the rest of scripture uh, is moving us toward that being fulfilled in Christ and ultimately in his coming again. So here's what it says in terms of salvation. Instead of getting what we deserved, he made our adoption a reality. Verse 5 in the passage we read, so that we, in Galatians 4, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So God doesn't just redeem us and then set us on a shelf like a, a trophy or something like that. Look what I did. i, I I redeem them instead of condemning them. But what he does is he says, okay, now come to my table. In fact, don't just come to my table. You're now a part of my family. I'm adopting you into my very own family. That may be the most precious doctrine of all. Our adoption. We were his enemies, and we moved from being his enemies to being called his child, his son, his daughter. Remember from 1 John 
the series we we're doing up till Christmas and we'll resume in January. First John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's what we are. When we, when we trust in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life, we go from being condemned enemies of God to being children of the living God. And then it goes further. And that is we have salvation, we're redeemed, we're adopted into the family, and we're made heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Galatians 4, 7, for you, you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son than an heir through God. We're not second-class children. We're not orphans. We are heirs. Romans 8, verse 15 says, You've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So what's that mean? It means everything that Jesus is entitled to, we have become co-owners with him. I'm going to say it again. This should be stunning Everything that Jesus is entitled to, we have become co-owners with him, co-heirs with Christ. Now think about adoption as we would normally think about it. Picture a family where there is uh, one son that was born to that family. And then picture in that family that they decide we're going to adopt a number of other children. And they do just that. And then it comes time for their inheritance. If all the children are told that they're going to receive the same amount, what would be the temptation for that son who was there before any of the children were adopted? From a human perspective, what's the temptation? Well, the, the temptation would be for that child to be jealous of the others, maybe resentful, maybe angry that he would no longer uh, receive what he felt was entitled to him. There was none of that with Jesus. None of that. And that's why Paul describes it as the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did what was needed so that we could be adopted. So he is then our elder brother 
And he made us not only heirs of the Father, but fellow heirs with Christ. That's the riches that we are entitled to. We're going to talk more about those next week. But if earth, according to that hymn, is to receive her king, what is the application? Well, it's the the phrase that goes with it. Let every heart prepare him room. So how, how can we make room for Jesus in our heart? Well, maybe, maybe the question is, what's taking up the space in our heart that precludes Jesus? What's making it so that there isn't room there for him? Well, there are many things we could say, but let me suggest that perhaps the main answer to that is when our hearts are too full of ourselves. There won't be room for him. I think for many that the greatest hindrance to receiving the king is that we want to be the king. We want to be the one in that position. Our abilities, and specifically what we think are our abilities to get to God, to get to heaven, to work our way there. If we cling to that, we are implying that we don't need Jesus. And there's not room for him. If you have no room for Jesus... You're like that TV special we watched or like Garrison Keillor. You'll be celebrating a Christless Christmas. But if that's the case, any joy from Christmas will be at best temporary and at worst non-existent. May our hearts prepare him room to receive the king. Let's bow together. Lord, if that is the case, if our hearts are way too full of ourselves of confidence in ourselves that we're we're good enough or, or we could be good enough. Our confidence that, that you owe us salvation. You owe us riches. Lord, forgive us if, if we've fallen into that trap. And help us to see, Lord, that there must be room for Jesus And that that looks like trusting him alone for our eternal life. 
Lord, for those where that is the case, will you give real, deep, and abiding joy? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.